Welcome to this, the ninth episode of Who Needs School. Now, nine, ninth got me thinking about the ninth grade. And it was then that I got introduced to one of the finest teachers I ever had in school. And that was Charles T. Murphy. He was my freshman algebra teacher. And he was a great teacher because he knew his subject matter, but he didn't teach the subject matter. He taught his students and it was fun. He was funny and his sense of humor made class fun, but we played games in class. And that's what we're going to kind of touch upon today a little bit. Later, I, as I went on to college, I attended Santa Clara University and I had a fantastic calculus teacher for a number of classes in calculus. Her name was Jean Pedersen. And every single thing that we learned and studied in calculus, we saw. She graphed it. And I'm a visual learner. And so I really learned that math has practical applications because it's a visual subject when we're able to to graph it. Now let's flash forward. And I don't know if you've ever had this opportunity, but I, I've had a chance to do like an architectural tour virtually. You put on these headsets and you can kind of walk through a new building. And I know that gaming has those headsets where you can play a game and get lost in a, in a visual world. Well, that got me thinking, what if we start applying that to education and we designed lessons that really used this visual and augmented reality. Imagine exploring Egypt, seeing it in the year 2000 BC or taking a tour of the earth's core as part of an earth science class or to see the connection of ocean waves in a sinusoidal curve. I think that's where part of the future of education has to lie. And so that's why I'm excited about our guest today, Ted Pollack. Ted was, we our connection is through St. Ignatius, and he refers to it as SI in the podcast. He was a student there, and he's a video game industry investor and analyst. And he's also on the board of directors of The Maid, which is an acronym for the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment in Oakland. Here we go. Well, a warm welcome to our guest today on Who Needs School, Ted Polak. Thank you very much for joining us. Where does this find you today? I'm located in San Francisco in the South Park uh, area near the baseball stadium, which the San Francisco Business Times once called Gamers Gulch because we have the Ubisoft North American headquarters and various game companies here. So it's a good place to be. Awesome. Now, by way of context, I thought it might help our audience if you could just give us a a little bit of a walkthrough or overview of what your educational experience was like. Yeah, sure. Well, after SI, I went to uh, California State University, Chico, for its access to the, the mountains and the extreme sports stuff and that I liked. And from there, I uh, studied the NASD materials for the registered investment advisory company that I founded. I started with the CFA, which is a fantastic program, past the first level, but still have not completed that journey yet. You know, when we we spoke offline, one of the things you mentioned was, and I think it'd be great for our audience to hear the, the class you had with one of your math teachers at SI and how uh, that one stuck <laughs> out with you. Yeah, Mr. Quatrin, he just sparked my imagination, I think in uh, analytic uh, geometry and trig. And it made me perform better in the class. He was kind of a Dungeon Dragons guy, would come to class in a suit of armor. And just a fun, 
uh, teacher who had cool problems that made me want to do the work. And it, I think it was the best grade I got at St. Ignatius. <laughs> That's awesome. And I, I have to wonder if that experience didn't plant some seeds that eventually springboards you into the, you know, the gaming industry, right? I think it, it probably, it definitely contributed toward the imaginative side of, of my career, which is, which is important. Yeah, which is so powerful, right? That's what allows us to be creative and innovative. And that's a, a nice springboard to what I'm really excited to talk to you about. And that's the possibility of really exploring the idea of intersecting the worlds of gaming and education. I've raised three kids. They're all out of college now. And my two boys are exceptional gamers, you know, whether it's Madden or Minecraft or what have you. And I think of, and I know kids these days spend a lot of time online and gaming and what if what if we gamify education? They're learning things that we perhaps are trying to teach in the classroom. So anyway, you, this is your turf. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on this. Well, what you describe it, it already exists. It just hasn't penetrated what I would call the 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 mass market from high school and up. Now, if you go lower education, you got Minecraft Education Edition that Microsoft has. It's specifically targeted at schools. I think they have a, I'd throw a dart at a 15-person team working completely on Microsoft educational uh, administrative stuff, not including the programmers. And uh, then you have Roblox that just went uh, public, who also has an Education Edition, and they partnered with Tencent in China and uh, that is being used for education in China. And I don't think the Chinese government has approved the non-educational version hmm. of Roblox in there. So it are, is already happening for the younger children. And then for three decades, it's been, been used to train pilots, military, NASA, simulation type educational and training products used in that capacity. So there's this huge area in the middle, which would be high school, college, and other types of training trades that is just ripe for someone to create really good products for. And uh, you know, education is a $7 trillion a year business. The, the gaming aspect of that should probably be uh, taken advantage of more. Yeah, right. So it's a great opportunity. In fact, you uh, had an article on LinkedIn that I would commend to our listeners about the models and what exists out there already. I never really thought about that from the, you know, pilot sim simulating military, but even if you're going to learn how to use a backhoe, you know, there's, there's mechanics and, and software that can teach you how to do that in a safe environment. And so that it's there, you know, it, and it's just a matter of how to design that with in an educational setting. What, what do you think some of the, why hasn't it happened yet in mass? What are the challenges with that? Do you think? Well, I think one of the biggest challenges is the is the 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 public school systems have a lot of administrative bureaucracy layers that that game developers are they don't want to take this massive risk. It's almost like you know traditionally you build a game and then sell it to the the, the gamers, but with the educational product, you would have to build it and then sell it to the decision makers at schools. And uh, that is very risky. So it's almost like for this to really take off, the school systems need to say, we want this and we're gonna pay for it. And we're yeah. gonna 
fund it in advance. And almost become a, like a, a software company unto themselves, right? And and just develop, kind of develop that stuff. Because I, I would imagine it's hard to to scale, right? That's one of the challenges is how do you monetize doing something like that? Like for just to give you an example, and then I'll lead into a question. But as I've thought about it, as I, I'm at, let's say I'm a history teacher. And I want to be able to design, use augmented reality or artificial reality to be able to like see history and simulate stuff. Well, I might do that for my class and and have some software, gaming software designed for that for my class. But that doesn't apply to the the other history teacher or the you know the one down at a school in San Jose. And so it just doesn't scale. Is that? How would how could that be possible? How might schools do something yeah. like that? I, I I've been thinking about this recently, and as you know, I, I have been focusing on educational gaming training and simulation recently with that article and with a research report that I started as well. But I think that the ultimate platform would be a massive AAA quality game engine. If you look at Roblox and and Minecraft, these are sandbox type environments. However, they're very, they're blocky. I mean, that's what they're called. They're, they're like Legos. And because of that, it's kind of, it, people view it as a kid's thing and it doesn't capture the imagination of adults. So what you need is a semi-photorealistic game engine, a, a world where you could have up to 20 square miles of terrain or larger companies like uh, Bohemia Interactive in the Czech Republic that do military simulators they're experienced with huge trains. There's many other companies that, that work with this. But if you had a huge train with a physics engine and uh, lighting and all that stuff, then what could happen is schools and teachers could create modules. It could be an analytic geometry module or a history module and set up type, some type of problem or challenge. And the, the, the teacher's individual style and preferences could be injected in this module and the module could be sold to other schools who don't have the time, the resources to, to tackle that specific subject or part of a subject. Yeah. And so there could be an economic uh, transaction between schools and uh, that could be, that could be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a single, you're, everyone's working on one game engine so there's not a fragmentation of oh well i got to use this headset for this and this thing for that right it's all the same so i think that would be the best way of doing it let me see if i got that it, it would is it similar to there's you know a lot of software out there now where you can like i could go out and design a website well way back when i would have had to have known how to code to create the website but now i can go to this interface program where it's super easy to make my own website because it it translates it into the necessary code. Is that the, that, that that analogous? That is exactly what I'm talking about. So, for example, if you wanted uh, some sailing ships in your uh, module that you were creating for a historical reenactment, the ship's 3D models would already exist in the right. game engine. And literally, the teacher doesn't know how to doesn't need to know how to program unless they're doing something really special. Uh, they could drag and drop, and it would be a, what you see is what you get type programming. Let, let's uh, pivot a little bit to the finances of that a little bit. And you spoke a, a little bit about that already. How how do you see this? You know, if you were going to build this yourself, like, how would you model it out? Well, I would 
if we're going for this big this big goal that I was describing, which is is the the U.S. education system or the the Catholic education system or whatever education system, it would be better the bigger decides that they're going to spend money on this base game engine. I would probably go and get administrators to agree to share the cost of this back end. And then everyone has access to the back end. It's actually, it's open source. The back end would be open source and the, the modules would be proprietary unless the school wanted to, to sell them. You could keep it for yourself or sell it or share it. You could give it away for free. The, the, the creator of the modules would decide the economics of that module. And so I think that would be how I would approach it. Now, that's a huge undertaking. Yeah. In the meantime, there's ways to create smaller games that could be ready to go in, in six months. You could take a specific subject. I, I keep going back to trig and analytic geometry, but it could be physics, could be earth sciences, could be history, and just uh, get a, a, a small uh, software team to use Unity or Epic Unreal Engine to create something that teaches at least one concept in that class, and it would be fun. It would be a, an additional element for the teacher to use in, his, in their tool bag. So uh, there's different approaches you can yeah. take. Um, That's very interesting. That... So from the grant to the, the, you know, the pilot type stuff. In fact, as you were thinking about the, the big thing, it's almost like a marketplace. You know, you could, people could create stuff that they could sell in the marketplace that you could piece, you know, piece together your class and stuff like that. It'd be kind of cool. Um, Absolutely. And it doesn't have to be the schools that create the modules. People in the public place yeah. could create the modules and the teachers could review them and say, you know what? I like this. I'm going to buy it for the class. The te- the school gives them a thousand dollar budget or whatever the module costs. Yeah, now that there, I've you know, read stuff and, and you hear in podcasts all the time about the amount of money that's going into ed tech and these venture capitals put in ed tech and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things I've begun to wonder about, especially as we explore, whether it's, you know, gaming or augmented reality in the intersection of of education and teach, we're assuming, I think, because we've done it for so long and don't know any different, that we would be teaching the same stuff in a different way. One of the things I wonder about, and I'd be interested if you've thought about it at all or had any thoughts on it, what if that just gets blown up? You know, this this now gives us an opportunity for, you know, students, if you will, kids, young adults, to be able to explore stuff that isn't necessarily in, you know, that in the class, it's not isolated to a particular subject. That's a, that's a fascinating point, which makes me think about two things. Uh, one is the ability of games in an educational scenario to have a, a concept that's the core concept for the class, but each student has different interests. So there might be three routes that the student could take. There could be for, let's say, a a mathematical problem. One student would take a a space exploration route. Another student would take an environmental route, angling solar panels. Another student would attack a castle in a Dungeons and Dragons environment or something. But it's all the same formula. So it, it, it grabs onto that specific student's interest instead of forcing the student into the the book problems that we're used to. And then the other thing it made me think about is that in advanced simulations, military space, they have them set up where the, the students end up 
solving problems or thinking about things that was never just as you were talking about and they never was never intended in the original hmm. material which could lead to inventions sure uh, things, things come up you don't anticipate or design right that's right yeah fascinating now yeah. i have to ask you just because you know some some of our listeners are parents and or students and you've been in gaming and, and i know that parents worry about that you know their kids are spending all this time on gaming and what would you say about that what would what would you say to our, our parents or to perhaps young adults that that like to game a lot well nothing replaces going at uh, first of all nothing replaces true social interaction this, you can't do remote learning for for everything it would be a disaster and nothing replaces physical fitness as well so you got to have a healthy social and healthy physical fitness. And then when you're looking at how the students spend their time, if you look at what they, the time they used to use in their books and the time that they use on their own on television, those two chunks of time can very healthily be translated into game oh, and simulation time merge them interesting yeah yeah that, that that amount of time per day you know what let's say it's three hours of tv and book reading now i'm not saying get rid of book reading by any means they definitely should keep uh, working on that but when you're talking about those the soft cover big workbooks with the the problems those things are snoozers and yeah, you gamify exactly. that stuff and the kid's imagination is gonna gonna uh grab hold of these opportunities better. I, I think of the brain activity and I have to imagine that for most people, the brain's firing when they're, you know, interacting with a game versus when they're, you know, yawning over you know, the 30th page of a, of a you know, textbook they have to read. That's and, right. And, and I'll, I'll hear people complain that, you know, our kids don't read anymore. I, I think kids probably read more than we ever did. It, it may be at 40 characters at a time or they're learning all the time, even if it's by, you know, TikTok or something these days, but they're like the brains engaged. I think the opportunity as we try to intersect gaming and education is to design things that, that really inspire deep critical thinking, you know, which is what we, what we try to do in the, in a, you know, classroom setting, right? Absolutely. And I, I'd add on that the social aspect that one, the, the, uh, you have your headset on the kids have these headset with the boom microphones and they're talking to each other. It's not an isolated thing anymore where you're, you know, in a dark basement with, the, with the, <laughs> an old computer or in an arcade, you're talking to people, you're strategizing with them. And the collaborative possibilities of the educational gaming from a homework perspective uh, extent almost expands yeah, beyond that, what we had you yeah, know we would right. have had to meet at the breakfast room table and have mom drive you to the other house you know but they can collaborate now with headsets and yeah in fact just to just to echo one of your points the if there's anything we learned in this past year of the pandemic with a significant amount of remote learning is how important the social interaction is, you know, for uh, social and emotional health for the individual, but for the community collectively. And really from a learning standpoint, that proximity of being with other human beings is so important. In fact, there's a, listening to a story yesterday about new brain research that's out that shows how exercise really helps stimulate a healthy brain. It helps us think better. You know, the analogy they used was, 
in grammar school, you go out to recess, you know, if you're a grammar school teacher at that time after recesses, they're going to learn a lot because they're, they're paying attention. They haven't, they haven't started nodding off and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. Hey, anything we haven't touched upon. I'm always afraid I'm going to uh, leave something out as I, that question, we've, we've, we've covered some great ground here. Anything I've, I've left out? I don't think so. I might just add that, that there's actually opportunities. We talk about STEAM, right, with the science, technology, with engineering, arts, and mathematics. But gaming also has overlapped into physical fitness in a, in a few scenarios as well, which is kind of interesting. You can gamify. People do it with their, their watches, different challenges. You have to do this many this uh, one day and go here the next day. So, And then with uh, augmented reality, uh, that will bring some interesting opportunities as well to blend physical fitness and gaming. Yeah, well, it's interesting to see what's happening with the Peloton, right? You know, that incorporate technology with with yeah. exercise and even be able to connect with other people as you're doing that. Okay, one last bit. You are active with MADE. You're on the board of directors. Can you speak to that a little bit and what goes on there? Yeah, the Maiden is the world's largest playable video game museum. It's in Oakland. Currently, it's in storage because of the COVID pandemic, but we'll, we're going to be back uh, online very quickly here. The Maid has a huge, huge archive and collection of vintage gaming from the very first, if you remember the, the Madden LED head-to-head <laughs> handheld things to... Hey, I was in the Pong great... days, dude. <laughs> yeah, they have Pong, they have Atari 2600s, they have everything. And major companies have donated their arc, their collections to the Maid to keep watch over. And another thing that goes on at the MAID is that they educate kids in the Oakland area on beginning software programming. And they have these classes. You walk in and there's these, you know, 11 or 12 kids with their eyes wide and a a volunteer teacher up there telling a kid how to uh, program at age 12. Wow. And it's really amazing. And that's what's needed to spark the next generation of uh, developers and engineers. Well, I know that you guys are looking for a place to reopen and encourage people to check it out. Hey, I have fascinating turf and just provide great insight to the possibilities on the intersection with gaming and education. And we'll keep in touch. Certainly looking forward to see what you get into next. So thank you, Ted, for, for doing this. All right. Have a great day. Quick final thought. As we talk about education, we can keep doing what we're doing and do business as usual. And we know what we're going to get. We're going to get the same results that we have for decades and decades and decades. And for some of us, that's fine. But we know we can do better and it can be better for all. As we evolve as humans, as we learn more about the brain and about psychology, we have to adapt and adjust our educational system. And I think we're in a great period of experimentation using creativity and innovation to understand that better. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. And please take a moment to rate and review this podcast and spread the good news. Thank you.